Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 675 with Eric Karpinski. Eric shares why investing in your happiness makes your brain work better and you work better at work. So you'll learn one, the secret to boosting your brain power at work. Two, the one question to jumpstart your happiness habit. And three, how to make stress work for you. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we referenced, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP675. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out our gold nugget email list, which gives you a summarized write-up of Eric's wisdom in your email inbox. You can read in about three minutes. And that also unlocks the vault of all of these gold nugget write-ups. And that's called the gold nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Eric's story. Eric Karpinski has been on the cutting edge of bringing positive psychology tools to workplaces for over 10 years with clients that include Intel, Facebook, IBM, and many others. He's a member of Sean Acor's Good Think team and developer of the Orange Frog in-house certification program where he's trained more than 100 facilitators to lead positive cultural transformation at their organizations. He was trained as a scientist at Brown University and has an MBA from the Wart School. Big thanks to Eric for sharing his wisdom with us. Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Eric. Eric, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, I'm, I'm super excited. I've been listening to a bunch of your podcasts. They just said, you get in deep and I love listening. So I hope I can step up to the quality of everything else you've done. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I have no doubts. <laughs> but I think the first thing we need to cover is beekeeping. What's the story here? Yeah. <laughs> so I have I wanted to be a beekeeper for years and years. It's just they're, they're fascinating, fascinating little creatures. And so, yeah, it's something I've been doing the last four or five years. And I learned so much about community and teamwork from them. And you get the occasional sting and you get the occasional jar of honey. It's a perfect balance. Now, I imagine having your work product repeatedly robbed from you might be disengaging in terms of happiness at work. They just keep working. I've got this fun device called a flow hive. And so it kind of drains part of the honey out without them even noticing. Hmm. And so they, they still get mad at me when I have to do hive inspections and stuff. But obviously, you need to make sure you leave them plenty for the, for the dry summer uh, here in San Diego. They don't seem to be bothered by that as much as they are about me coming in and looking and trying to find the queen. Okay. Duly noted. And how about the stings? What's the story there? It just happens. I wear a suit. I like to use feral bees, which is I save bees from people's walls and, and their gardens and, and the trees where they don't want bees. I'll come and, and sort of capture them and bring them home. Sometimes you get 
a little more Africanized genetics, and sometimes that really uh, they get a little ornery when you when you start looking in. Instead of the nice European bees that you can buy and manage real easily, but bees are fun. You 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 take things with the territory. That's part of that's part of what beekeeping is. Okay, and I'm sure this could be a whole podcast episode, but <laughs> I must ask in brief. To what extent is the human species at risk of extinction because of bees not being able to uh, pollinate stuff in the future? What I love is the flow hive that I mentioned. It is making so many people into hobby beekeepers. And for those that are, especially those that are taking local honey like hives and local colonies and bringing them, you're maintaining the genetic diversity okay. of the bees. And so there's a huge benefit to lots of hobbyists because the, you know, the, the commercial ones need to like have very predictable bees, but the rest of us can just go, we don't need things really efficient. So we can come in and, and nurture the genetic diversity that I think is really important for, for countering a lot of the things with the colony collapse issues. Okay. Well, yeah. good to know. <laughs> All right. Well, now we're talking about happiness. <laughs> Let's talk about happiness. Uh, bees make me happy, but there's some more direct ways to do it than having to get your own hive. All right. Well, you've got a book, Put Happiness to Work. Can you tell us what's one of the most surprising counterintuitive discoveries you've made along the way about happiness and engagement when you are working on this stuff? Yeah. So starting at the top, we spend over a third of our waking hours working. So we should invest in our happiness, right? It's in, in our relationships at work and in finding meaning at work. We spend so much time. It makes sense that we actually focus on those things and, and the ties between happiness at work. I think one of the biggest things is, is over the last 10 years, really understanding how much being happy at work actually ties and specific types of happiness really ties to being awesome at your job, right? So many people think of happiness as that thing that happens once you get what you want. The most surprising thing and the most important thing is happiness is the way to get a lot of the other things that you want, the way to success. I used to, I spent years working on my own. Hey, look, if I am as, as successful as I can be, then I'm going to be happy, right? And so mm -hmm. I worked hard, did all the things, except that work hard and success thing became this loop of, hey, all right, I got, I got a, a degree from Brown University. Awesome. I got this great job. Great. I got an MBA from Wharton. Awesome. Look at all the success I have. I have this incredible job where I'm doing a venture capital job and I've got all these things. Well, I kept making those success. And then I would stress so much about the next level of success, the next promotion, the next raise, the next thing. And I never stepped from that success down to the happiness piece. Mm -hmm. And I got stuck in this loop and stress turned into anxiety, anxiety turned to insomnia and then depression. And I'm supposed to be getting happy by the success. And instead I'm driving it into the therapist chair and, and Paxil, right? Mm -hmm. Not the path. So when I found positive psychology research, though, I realized you can flip that around. There's so many things we can do right now in our lives and in our work. And actually, when we're happier, our brain works better. And when there's specific types of happiness we can talk about, really helps drive engagement at work mm -hmm. and all the positive emotions that come with that. Certainly. Well, so I think that that's a, that's a huge idea. And, and I think I first learned this uh, from, from Sean Acord, his TED Talk. Yep. And I understand you work with Sean, which is cool. Yeah. For almost 10 years, we've been working together. He's a, incredible that he made, he helped shift the world and, and the boardroom from happiness is one of those little things that you should, that you don't really need to worry about at work to say, this can be central. Mm -hmm. And obviously the work is still ongoing in terms of creating that. 
That's right. Well, well, we love positive psychology stuff uh, over here. And, and we had his wife, Michelle Geelan, on the show, and she was great. Yeah, Michelle's awesome. So let's get into it a little bit. So what are some of the, the, the top things we can do to, to boost our happiness and engagement at work? Yeah. If I can take a second to sort of round out sort of the idea behind the book, which is there is so much in the positive psychology research, 20 years of positive psychology, neuroscience, organizational psychology research. And I've spent 10 years actually implementing that with organizations. And I think 80% of this book is really good for any of us that want to be happier and spread that happiness and be awesome at their jobs. The other 20% is really focused on managers and leaders and how they can help create engagement at work through a specific set of strategies and using positive emotions, right? Mm -hmm. So with that sort of frame, let's, let's get into the topics. Let's get into how do we apply it. One of the topics I think is most important, particularly right now at this moment, as we're on, as we're 14 months into the pandemic, so many of us have just lost our ability to socially connect. And we've got that ability still with a few people, but we're out of practice. And as we, as the vaccines get more well distributed, there's so many opportunities for us to, to reactivate that right? And to, to bring that. And I think that that's true for our personal lives, for sure. And it's, I think it's really true with our work lives that we've gotten so stuck with, you know, sort of Zoom fatigue and all these different issues. And we just aren't spending the time, most of us aren't spending the time connecting with people as much as we'd like. We're just, we're in this, you know, as, as Adam Grant said in his recent New York Times article, like, we're all languishing. We're just sort of sitting in this pause mode. Not everybody, but many of us, many more than normal. And so, when I think about socially connection, and there's a whole strategy about this, about work, and I wanted to bring a couple of the habits that I talk about in the book that I think are really good at retraining us, reopening us to connection, and then helping us actually motivate and start doing things. So one of them, the first one is a, is a simple one. And like everyone that talks about positive psychology talks about gratitude and targeting this really for gratitude for others sitting down and just spending a couple minutes each day writing down three people that you appreciate in your life and something specific you appreciate about them, mm -hmm. right? So it can't just be, I appreciate my, I love my mom because she's always there for me or I love my partner because, you know, something else, like not just because I love my partner, but what specifically do you love about your partner? Okay. Or your children. Like my son is 16, right? He's just got his driver's license. He's driving around the world now. And, but he also is always willing to give me a hug. He's always willing to just stop his day and like hug me. At 16, that's awesome. <laughs> Touch me in one of my love languages is really huge. So that's one of my gratitude that pops up from time to time, right? And this just, this idea just opens you and make sure you include one person from work, a work-related person each day. So that's one. Okay. Another one is, is that something Sean did, really did the research, original research on. We call a conscious acts of kindness message. It's an email or a text when you first get to your, to your phone or you first get to your email, just send one two-line, two-sentence email each day to someone, appreciating them, sharing some good news, sending some encouragement, just something that's kind, something that's thoughtful, and just takes two minutes. Mm -hmm. right? I'd love to dig into that a little bit because yeah, sure. I've heard of that. And so I like the conscious kindness communication. Is that how you called it? Yeah. I call it conscious acts of kindness. Conscious acts of kindness and its message. And so that is, that's broader than only thanking and or praising. Yep. It can have a variety of flavors there, which, which I like that you're expanding this for me here. Yeah. So, yeah. So we could also have encouragement. How about you just 
Give us a few examples of, of some recent messages you've sent out that fall into those categories. It could be thanking, it could be praising, it could be encouraging, it could be others. Sure. Well, I just launched a book, so there's so many, so many people that have helped me and, and that have encouraged me. And, you know, every time I get someone who, who posts a you know, photo of them with my book, like I'll just, I'll, I'll send them that authentic message of, I really appreciate that you, it wasn't just you bought it, but you bought it and you're reading it and you're sharing with the world that you got it. I send a couple of those each day just because this is still the time when everyone's still getting the book and, and sharing it. Then there's a, another good one is my wife helped write the book, right? She, she was there. She read it all. She was there to bounce ideas off of, and she's got a full-time job. She's a senior executive in, in a healthcare organization and she makes the time to do it. So, so I just, I told her that yesterday and when someone's in person, you can you can absolutely do it in person. The idea is make sure you do it. And so the easiest way is to just say every time you get to your email, every time you get to your when you first get to your phone, send that message. Make it the first thing you do, and and it'll happen. Okay, I love it. Why keep it coming? Keep it coming. What else can we do? <laughs> yeah. So third one that is really awesome. Some people it'll strike as kind of hippy dippy woo woo. Except I want to say it's got total backing from researchers at Stanford, from the University of North Carolina. It's something I call connection meditation. And it's connection meditation is really a what's what's known as a loving kindness meditation. And this evolved along with mindfulness meditation for years, for, for thousands of years. And it's what's awesome is it brings, by the way, all three of these are things that bring happiness to us immediately. It's not just about creating connection. It's also about it feels good to do these things. And so that's, that reinforces sort of the, the need. So to describe it then, if you're talking about connection meditation, you envision someone that is really easy for you to love, right? Maybe it's a, a perfect, like a wonderful niece or nephew or a grandparent. Maybe it's your partner if you're not in some kind of conflict with them or, or have something that's kind of dragging you down. But bring someone to mind that you love easily, that love comes easily. And then you just bring them to mind and you send them little wishes. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you find peace in your life. And while you're saying those things, just opening yourself to the love and really trying to connect with them and, and open yourself to those emotions, then you do that once or twice. And you, once you get a good head of steam going, then you bring it to someone else that you love, right? And maybe this is, a, this is your partner, or maybe it's one of your children or, or something else, but someone that maybe there's a little bit of conflict and a little bit of help holding back, and you bring the love to them. And then you bring the same statements to them. And then you bring it to someone who's kind of neutral, someone you don't know that well. You bring, it could be a neighbor, it could be someone at work that you just haven't spent much time with, or it could be, again, someone who at work that you kind of have a little bit of conflict with, but you want to overcome that. And then you bring them to mind and you bring the same wishes to them. And what's so cool, Barbara Fredrickson did a, did some, a lot of research in this space and said, we feel so good when we do that. Now, not 100% of the time, not always, but people stick with this connection, loving kindness meditation longer than they do mindfulness meditation. She actually did a head-to-head study, which was really cool. Yeah, that's not surprising. Mindfulness meditation is hard. It is. It is. This feels good. <laughs> and, we get, and we feel so, we get so judgy, right? About, oh, I didn't stick with it. No, oh, now this. The, the same stuff we're not supposed to do when we're doing mindfulness meditation. But then the Stanford group saw increases in empathy, 
increased desire to actually reach out to others. That it's a great way to just prepare your mind for connection, and it feels really good. So that's one that I I really integrate that. I mix it up with my with my mindfulness meditation from time to time. So highly recommend that, and that not a lot of people talk about that, especially in a work context. I haven't heard anybody else mention this in kind of a a work context, but it's really useful to help build those social connections, build your own preparation for social connections. Mm-hmm. And then I think I've got a couple really good ones that can help you connect with others and help create that connection amongst your teams. Oh, that's, that's great. Well, I'd like to talk about the loving kindness and meditation a bit. So yeah, sure. I think it, it may feel a uh, woo woo or hippy dippy for, for some folks. So when you mention, so when you mentioned science, that's awesome. Yeah. So we talk about the boost in empathy. I think that just makes sense. Can you share any particulars associated with uh, the studies or the the results or or the numbers? I mean, I can sort of imagine or extrapolate like, oh, well, if you have an increase in empathy, you're more likely to be patient with the people that you work with and less likely to be overly critical and improve your your working relationship with them such that they like to they enjoy being with you and yeah. you feel more comfortable sharing feedback, positive and negative, which improves performance. So I could just imagine how this uh, turns into improved work results. Can you share any, any hard hitting stats? They haven't done those studies yet. Okay. They measured the increased empathy. So I see all the benefits that could happen, but I haven't seen it actually put into practice in an environment where you're then looking at downstream benefits. Okay. Right. So that's a study that's going to be there. But as you say, I can imagine so many of them and just the ability to, you know, and I actually recommend this for people that don't feel like they are that caring or that, that they care that much about connection. And, and I try to avoid the should, right. You Mm -hmm. you shouldn't be picking things that you should do. Don't be a selfish uh, (laughs) jerk. (laughs) Right. So only if it sounds intriguing, right. We'll talk about that in a second, but a, a big thing is to pick these habits by which ones get you draw are drawn towards and that bring you energy you get excited about. But at the same time, if you know that this is that caring for others is something that can often derail you, it's a nice practice to, to try out for a little while and see if, see if you take to it. That is cool. So anyway, but that increase in empathy and the ability to take someone else's side. And you know, I, I remember hearing one of your other podcasts, someone was talking about compassion and activated empathy is kind of an important aspect that a chance to be like, oh yeah, I know what they feel like and I'm going to utilize it to make myself better. Like compassion and action, putting empathy to act is kind of an important step on that. So it's not just about increasing that empathy, but then how do we actually then do things for others and help relieve the the challenges that they're facing or, or share positive emotions that they're feeling? Both of them are important. That's cool. And I'm thinking about some people who who work within a a religious or wisdom tradition could very readily integrate this right into their existing prayer or or whatever time, since a lot of this feels like kind of morning ritual prep, get a great start to the day type type stuff here. Yep. Yep. It integrates with so many different prayers and different types of meditation. It's nice to just slot in if you've already got, and anytime you're doing a habit, if you can lock it next to a habit that you've already got. So if you already sit and do a little prayer, Maybe this fits as an add-on to that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, what else? So let's talk about when we're at work and some things we can do, right? Because these are these are habits that we can do individually. One of my favorites that I just learned about because of of writing the book, Scott Crabtree is a friend of mine who works up in he does ha- he does happiness talks and things up in the Northwest in Oregon, and he talks about something called a Pecha Kucha presentation. All right. Now the name doesn't matter, but what it matters is that you ask everyone on the team to collect 10 photos of their life outside of work that they're willing to share. 
right? And you have them put it together in a presentation. And then you ask one person at the weekly meeting, right? To just spend two minutes because you, here's the ticket. You only get 20 seconds per photo. Okay. Right. So you can't tell any kind of long story. You can just mention a couple things. And like when I, I've done this with several different groups I've been with. And, and so when you present it, it's like, all you can say is, Hey, I've lived in these 12 cities is one of mine. Right. I struggled with cancer this year and give them a couple facts about that. I'm a beekeeper. Right. And those are the things that just, you show a photo and you show something, you show your family, you show the important people to you too. Right. But then it, creates these opportunities. You can't tell whole stories, but it creates all these. I've been thinking, of, I've been curious about beekeeping, just like you and I had that conversation at the beginning, right? Some people are going to be like, oh, wow, don't you get stung all the time? And they're going to come ask me that on the side. And that's going to create a fun conversation, even if we didn't have that connection before. And that's, for me, that's the real thing. We get a knowledge about our coworkers and we get, we get a chance to, to seed some really cool conversations that might create these like high quality connections, these experiences of positivity resonance when we're like connecting and get each other. Right. Yeah. That, well, that's so cool. And I think about managers or teammates. I mean, that'd yeah. just be kind of fun to have either in, in your, your cubicle or, or somewhere a home office as the case may be right. <laughs> on display in terms of, okay, that's Visible Eric in the zoom window, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's Eric. And there, there's the 10 photos and that's helpful just in terms of just continually reminding yourself, because it's obvious, but we, we forget it, I think, at the emotional or experiential level that, oh, this is a human being with, you know, needs and values yeah. and priorities and, and concerns outside of work. And huge. Oh, yeah. And, they're the, and here they are, right, on display visually. Okay, cool. Yeah. I envision it usually in a sort of a PowerPoint kind of setup, but to, to then transfer it over is perfect, right? Because then it's always there. I'd be like, wait, there was something I was curious about. And once we're, you know, for people that are in their offices, oh, wow, right. Beekeeping. I wanted to ask you that question. That'd be super cool. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned managers, like one of my favorite habits for a supervisor or manager, someone who's, who's got direct reports is to start those one-on-one -on -one meetings, right? We all have one-on-one -on -one meetings with some of our key people asking what's one awesome thing someone on your team is, someone on the team has done today. Mm -hmm. Or what's one awesome thing that someone at work has done this week, right? And you, if you just take a minute or two, right, at the start of your meeting and ask that question and then you, and you don't let them off the hook, right? Some people be like, oh, I can't think of anything. That's all right. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. It can be something small. Just think of something, right? And they'll, they'll come up with one. And then in the next week when you have, well, you know, next Tuesday at 2 p.m. when you've got your weekly standing meeting, you ask the same question. And then by the third time, they're coming with, they're often coming with answers with, oh, here, Eric's going to ask this question. Here's the thing I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. And so it starts to actually train the people that you're working with to start noticing the good stuff, right? Noticing the good stuff at work and sharing it with you so that you now as a supervisor, if you've got three or four of these every week, you can create a list of all these great things. And I love to ask them, well, after they tell me, have you shared this with them? Have you told them that you thought this? They're like, no, but I should, is often the response you'll get. Sometimes it's inappropriate. And then I'll ask, would you mind if I mentioned it to them too? Mm -hmm. And now you've got, you know, three things, three incredible benefits. First, you're helping them do essentially gratitude for people at work practice, right? They're starting to learn. And hopefully over the course of you're doing this consistently, they're going to start noticing things as they're working. Be like, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to bring that to Eric. 
and I'm going to tell them right now, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and then I, as a supervisor, I get this long list of all these great things that people that are happening in the team and, and for the team. And then you're also starting the conversation off in a positive way, right? You talked about Michelle Gilan. She talks about those power leads, right? Those happiness questions that you start with. This is a powerful one because it starts the conversation in a positive way that then makes the rest of your agenda much more productive and much more creative, much more flexible in their thinking. And then just some, some good contagious emotional stuff, because if we've got a bit of a natural negativity bias in our thinking to have these things being surfaced again and again and again, yes, it just kind of puts you in a better groove in terms of, you know what, work doesn't really suck, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hope of all of this, right? You realize there's so many opportunities for connecting and smiling and laughing and look. We don't have to be happy all the time. All we need is two or three times a day where we just get a nice little pop of positive emotions. And all we're doing, all these habits are just about planting seeds for that to potentially happen. If we don't create space for it, it's not going to happen nearly as often. So let's create space. That's what these habits are for. That's what these interpersonal sort of habits do is create space for potential connection, for potential happiness. That's the best we can do when we're going to work. It's create space for others to like have those experiences and for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Any other key practices? There's lots of things that we can do. You know, I don't want to poo-poo the whole idea of like doing a, a picnic or a happy hour. I think those are important. But I think the most important thing is that we find ways to integrate it into our day, right? Just like in these one-on-ones, just in like in our weekly team meeting, like we have someone do their Pecha Kucha each week until everyone's done one. Like finding ways to make it part of our day, make it part of our routine is the key. Because if we don't, then if it's, we only rely on the happy hours and the picnics, it's just not going to happen very often. Right. And then we're going to continue sort of languishing and not really creating that positive thing. Well, I think that's a key right there. So I, I want to make sure that we do those things. I'm not saying don't do picnics. I'm just saying make sure you also pick some things that can create those daily and weekly experiences of, of one another and of happiness. Yeah, I think that high frequency makes a world of difference there. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about stress here. How do we think about it? How do we use it well? Yeah. So there is some really powerful research that's, that's coming to light and that more people are talking about. But what we know is that most of what we hear about stress is how it's such a problem, that it's a problem for our productivity, that it's a huge problem for our health. And of course, that's only been multiplied with all the stress that we have from the pandemic and from COVID. But the thing is, we evolved stress for a reason. When we're stressed, like our heart starts to beat faster. We, start, we often start to breathe faster. Our liver releases glucose and, and fats into the bloodstream. All of this is to help us get ready to act. And recent research has really talked about how, how we can actually change and put a mindset around stress that, that can help us actually experience that benefit. So much of we think about sort of one stress response is our fight or flight, right? And actually, there's a lot more sort of a continuum, right? There's what we call the threat response, what researchers call the threat response, which is what we hear so much about. This is when we, we initially hear about something that we don't think we have the resources to respond. And this response is uh, the, to, to really like address the issue that's caused there. And we get this flood of cortisol and it has these, these negative effects on our performance and on our health. Blood is actually shunted away when we have this threat response, away from the evolved parts of the brain. So we can't think clearly and we can't choose how to react. So we're, we're in this reactive place of avoiding what's happening and trying to kind of run away or just totally freeze and just forget about it. 
that's not good. And and by the way, that we're also narrowing a lot of the arteries in our whole body. That causes the the high blood pressure, which causes a lot of the health problems associated with stress. The other side of of the continuum is something we call the challenge response. The scientists have really understood now this challenge response. And this happens naturally when we see that something difficult's coming, but we believe we have the resources to actually address it or at least try to address it and start moving it, moving towards fixing it. And what's cool here, we still get cortisol and we still get a stress response, but it's countered by this other stress hormone called DHEA. And what happens then is actually that combination of the two hormones opens the vasculature back up in your brain and in your body. You get access to the full of your brain. So you get access to the prefrontal cortex, which is the home of of reason and logic and of choice. And we actually get to choose then how we respond and what we're going to do. You know, our heart's still beating fast, but those open vessels drive our blood pressure down. And that's a much healthier state for us to be experiencing. No, certainly. Well, challenge response sounds lovely relative to the alternative. So how do we have more of those? Yeah. So I have an acronym, right? Called ASPIRE. I'm aspiring to utilize the stress that I feel, right? And so there's a lot of things. I'll I'll just hit on a couple. The A of ASPIRE is acknowledge your stress, right? Notice when you're stressed and call it out. Now, some of us are so, we're so reactive to our stress, we don't even know when we're in it. And so there's a work in the book about how do we notice what are, what are our signals for stress? And then, oh man, I'm feeling really stressed right now. Or I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little bit of stress right now, whatever it is, just by calling it out. We change where we process that stress from the amygdala and the, and the limbic centers of our brain, which are much more primal, to the prefrontal cortex, which, as I said, is, is the place where once, it, once we're activated that, we have choice and we can actually decide how to move forward. And so it shifts us. It can't just that alone, acknowledging it can shift us towards the challenge. The other is S of Aspire is shifting your mindset. Simply recognizing that stress can be helpful changes how you respond to it. So just listening to this podcast, reminding yourself when you're feeling stressed, oh wait, didn't Eric say that stress can be good for us? And they've done studies with LinkedIn employees, with investment bankers, with college students at MIT, with high schools, like with students preparing for the GREs. Again and again, just by teaching a simple, sometimes just a five-minute exercise, reading a couple articles about how stress can be helpful, changes the way that people respond and moves them to a challenge response. All right. So simply remembering this podcast, right, and what we talked about already can change how we respond to you. So P is purpose. What's really interesting, and Kelly McGonigal, who's done a lot of work in this space and shared a lot about this, talks about the stress paradox, that when we are stressed, behind every stressor, there's something that matters to us, or we wouldn't be stressed, right? We care about the outcome in some way. So we just spend the time thinking, all right, why am I so stressed about this? What's underneath it? Not that someone said something bad to me, right? But that respect is a value of mine. And I don't feel like they respected me. Okay, well, let's go deeper in that. And what is, what is most important about this? And if we can find things in that meaning, particularly that's somebody else, right? What benefit might there be to, if we're successful, to my family, to end users, to patients, to whoever it is, tapping into the meaning behind why we're feeling that much stress and just understanding who this is for, what this is for, can help us switch over the challenge response. So I is inventory your resources. 
when we hear about a stressor, we do this lightning quick, so fast we can't even have conscious thoughts, response. Oh my God, I can't do it. I'm overwhelmed. There's no way it's going to happen. And we, it throws us into the threat response. If when we notice that, we can just pause, take a breath, step back a little bit and be like, okay, this is big. This is going to be hard. But what resources do we have, right? What strengths can I bring to this? What experiences? When have I had this, had this, something like this before? And what happened? What skills do I have? Who's in this with me, right? Who's the team that's going to help us do this? What skills and experiences and knowledge do they have? And can we reach out beyond just our team? Like who else in the organization has seen this? Or can we bring in some outside expertise for people that have dealt with this? Is there technology that might be able to address this problem? And this is just by categorizing and and inventorying the things that we have. It often brings us into that sort of natural challenge response, right? Oh, there's more here than I thought. Maybe we can and it starts to bring you, it activates you into bringing energy towards the problem rather than stepping away. And then the final one is the RE is, is reach out to others. There's Shelly Taylor at UCLA has done all this work about the tend and befriend response to stress. A lot of people, when they're first feel stressed, they want to bake cookies for others. And they want to bring them into the office and they want to reach out to others and just connect and help others solve. You know, you can't, obviously can't, you're stressed about your own work. You can't spend hours and hours helping others. But if there's some five minute favors in your inbox and someone asks you to, for a reference to somebody or someone asks you for a quick advice, go and do that. And then when you come back, it feeds your courage and your hope to sort of address your own challenges and helps you move again into that challenge response. Beautiful. So these are the four. I've got, I've got a whole worksheet on my website at puthappinessetowork.com slash resources. I've got a worksheet that people can just download. And it's great to do when you're feeling stressed or when you're doing your planning for the day or the week. Just bring that out. And if anything that you know is going to stress you, run through the Aspire tool set real quick, right? How can I shift my mindset? What's the purpose and the meaning behind this? Let me inventory my resources. Whichever one works for you, try them out. Experiment with it. And then see how you respond and how your stress changes. All right. Lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Well, tell me, Eric, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Yeah. One of the other things I think that is a fun one to do, two of the chapters really need some like introspection before you can get value out of them. One of them is really about strengths. And the, the thing that we need to do there, you know, there's lots of great strengths assessments. I love Clifton Strengths. It's a great place to start. The University of Michigan talks about your best self and you ask 10 people that know you really well for stories of you at your best. And then you harvest that for the things that, that you're good at, right? But then the important thing that you have to do personally is then think, which of these strengths actually energize me when I do them? Which ones give me energy? And then prioritize those strengths that came out of, you know, that came out of the assessment, whatever. Feel free to add ones. Like one of my strengths was for years was analytical. I'm really good at taking data sets and pulling it out and figuring out what the answer is, but I hate it. It drains me of energy now. I used to love it, but now it drains me. So I knocked that one off the list and I looked for something else to pop into that top five and then prioritize those by how much energy they give you when you do them. And once you've got that list, now there's lots of things you can do with your work, like how you view your work. How am I actually using the strength that I didn't even know? Or what are some things that I can take on that'll allow me to use these strengths more? And that's magical. That'll really get you, that provides the energy that really helps us be happier and more engaged all at once. Beautiful. Well, thank you. Now, could you share with us a favorite study? Yeah. So 
Harvard Business School, this is this goes back to the stress stuff I talked about. She did this study where she told she had a, a group of students that were going to have to do a last minute public speaking opportunity. They were going to be recorded and they were going to be evaluated by their peers. And she told one group to say, I'm calm. I'm calm. Like trying to calm down this, like this stress and this anxiety, right? Trying to try to counter it, which so many people think that that's the right thing to do. But the other group, she said, Hey, just tell yourself you're excited. You know, your heart beating faster, you're breathing faster. This is excitement, getting ready for it. And the objective evaluations of that study were incredible. How much better the I'm excited group performed. They were more confident. They were, they made their points better. They were fully understood versus the I'm calm group, which was kind of going against their biology, right? The physiology was going, ah, I'm getting up here. And they're trying to say, calm, calm down, calm down. I need to calm down. Instead of the excited, it goes with what's happening with the physiology. And so that one thing, like when you're, when you've got a, like a, an explicit event that's happening, like you're doing, you've got a difficult conversation coming up or you're doing a presentation or you've got something that you're worried about. Hey, this is when you feel that stress, this is, I'm excited. This is, I'm excited about this. This is going to help me. And it just can, just that one little switch can change you into that challenge response. So that's my favorite. Cool. And how about a favorite tool? I'm going to go back to the connection meditation. That habit is something that I do regularly. I want to reinforce that that's something worth trying, even if it sounds a little weird to listeners. All right. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? So puthappinesstowork.com, all one word.com is my, is the book website. Uh, and so learn about the book and it's got all the purchased links there too when you're ready to buy it. And then my full website is at erickarpinski.com. And Eric is with a C at the end. And Karpinski starts with a K, K-A-R-P-I-N-S-K-I.com. All right. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Pick one thing and do it now. If there was something, I like to refer to this when I do talks and, and when I do podcasts and when I, and the book itself, I ref, like to refer to it as an action buffet. There are literally dozens of tools and ideas in there. Don't wait till you can do multiple of them. As soon as you find one that sounds interesting, take a little helping, try it out for a day or two or a week. Never just one day, never just one time. You always got to try it two or three times. And anytime you do something new, it's going to be a little awkward and weird. But after three or four times, hey, if it doesn't take, that's okay. Go back to the list and pick something else. But if it does take, now figure out how do you really take a full helping? How do you integrate it into your day? How do you make a habit of it? Number one is move to action. Stop just reading. Stop just listening and actually pick one thing. It only has to be a couple minutes a day, but do something. Move to action. All right. Eric, this has been a treat. Thanks so much. I wish you much happiness at work. Thank you so much. This was fun. Yeah, I appreciate it. This was a really good, it was really energizing to talk to you and I love your questions. So thanks for that. I really appreciated Eric's take on the conscious acts of kindness and those communications can be broader than just the thanking and the praising because that's how I've been thinking about it but can be all the more broad and helpful in terms of encouragement. I was thinking about you. And so I think that's great. If you can't think of a great thing to thank somebody or praise somebody for in a given day, you can still have those conscious kindness communications. Good stuff from Eric. I hope you dug that and more. Again, the show notes, the transcript, and the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP675. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, 
check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.